Welcome to The Little Sleep Show, a podcast about helping your children and family get the sleep you need. Hosted by Laura Meyercourt. Hello and welcome to The Little Sleep Show. I'm Laura Meyercourt and I am an infant and child sleep consultant and I'm going to be your host today and every day. Before I get started on our topic today, which I'm really excited about, I wanted to take just a minute to acknowledge that I forgot a family member last week when I was doing my introductions. I totally forgot to mention my chinchilla Butters. Butters is a very special guy and he's a very special member of our family. He was with me since 2011 and he's been my little pet and he's moved all over the place with me. And now he has the best life ever here in Evergreen Park. He's very spoiled. We put the TV on for him at night and he gets to look out the window all night long. And that was all my husband's idea. So I give him all the credit for that one. So shout out to Butters for being the best pet ever. So today on The Little Sleep Show, I'm going to be talking about crying. This was pretty easy for me to settle on as my first topic because I feel like a lot of my other shows talking about sleep I need to preface them with this show about crying so that you kind of get an idea of where I'm coming from with my views on sleep and sleep training, um, emotional well-being, all those things that fall under the umbrella of holistic sleep consulting. On today's show, talking about crying, I'm going to talk about why it's such a controversy, or at least why I think it's such a controversy. I'm going to talk about what our children are trying to communicate with crying, why we struggle so hard as parents to just let our children cry, and how can we support them through the crying and kind of change our minds a little bit about it, maybe be a little more mindful. I want to start off by talking about the controversy of crying. A lot of sleep and parenting experts disagree on how much crying is okay And then the negative effects of crying or the positive effects of crying. I will say in our program, we did talk about crying and that was one of the first things we discussed. And we talked about how a lot of the studies that are used today to show the harmful effects of crying were based on children who are very neglected and their basic needs are not being met and they're just left to cry for long periods of time. So for instance, in orphanages. They did studies on how prolonged crying actually can cause damage in children's brains. So we're not talking about a regular child living in a loving household whose needs are met and who's left to cry for a little while. We're talking about children who are severely neglected in orphanages where there's probably one caregiver to 10, 20, 30 children. So that just gives you a little bit of an idea about why crying is such a controversy Now, I did a lot of research because I have my own input and ideas on crying. I have my own experience as a nanny, as a stepmom, as a sleep consultant. But I wanted to get to, I wanted to get some different opinions on crying and give you guys a well-rounded show. I think another big reason why crying is so, um, such a heated issue is because of the way that we were raised as parents. You know, as a child... A lot of times our own parents may come from households where expressing emotion was a sign of weakness or was overwhelming for their parents and they were told to be quiet 
or to suppress their emotions. And I guess one of the things I've learned over the years, just as a human, but also as a parent, is that our parents did the very best that they could with what they had. And we're also doing the very best we can with what we have. But with the internet, with podcasts, with books, and all these resources at our disposal today, we really have an opportunity to do better if we choose to. A lot of us were conditioned to shush our children or to distract our children or give them a piece of candy or just tell them to stop crying because it maybe makes us uncomfortable. Or even with little children, feeding every time they cry, holding, rocking. You know, our children are intelligent human beings. They are crying for a reason. And I'll get into that a little further on into the show. If we are shushing them every time they're crying, We're not giving them the opportunity to express whatever they need to express when they're crying. And we're also potentially forming things that they rely on, which are sometimes known as sleep crutches or sleep associations or habits. And they impact our child's ability to self-soothe, self-regulate, and self-settle. So even though our intentions are really good as a parent, we're just trying to provide comfort. Sometimes our children don't need comfort as much as they need someone to stand by them and let them express the emotion in a safe place. If you listen to my first episode where I introduced myself, I talked about how my first experience with any kind of sleep work with children was based on doing Dr. Weisbluth's method called extinction or known today as cry it out. The way that method is applied is you first make sure that all the sleep science is lined up. So The environment is perfect, it's dark, it's cool, it's quiet, and schedule is a big part of that, making sure that you're not starting with a child who's already overtired at bedtime, because of course, a child who's already overtired or not tired enough is going to cry more than they need to at bedtime or nap time. And then you place the child, you do your bedtime routine or nap time routine, you place the child in their bed, you shut out the light, and you close the door. For nap time, you leave them for up to an hour. For bedtime, you leave them indefinitely until they stop crying. And it's a very rigid method. I have done this with probably around 10 kids that I've nannied for over the past 17 years. And I had some success with it. However, there were kids who the method did not work for. Looking back on it today, I really believe those kids fall in two categories. They're either the children who are very strong-willed and just aren't going to take being put in a room and close the door closed on them and being told to go to sleep. And then there's also the high needs child. And the high needs child is just a child who needs a lot more emotionally from their parents than the average child. And I can talk more about high needs children in a later episode. Now, the families would hire me to apply this method to getting their child to sleep because people believe that this is the easy way to do things because it's supposed to only take two or three nights until your child stops crying and learns that once you shut the door and turn off the light, it's time to go to sleep. And I know there's been a lot of controversy over extinction or cry it out over the years. And I also found with my own experience that There needs to be, there has to be another way. This can't be the only way to get a good sleeper. And were those kids really good sleepers? Yes, most of them were. But 
around age two or three, when your child has their own self-will and they're also in a bed, a lot of them will revolt against this method and just decide that they don't want to go to sleep when you shut the door and turn off the light. So there can be a, a regressive effect to applying the cry it out method. When I decided to become a sleep consultant, I sought out a program that would give me a much more well-rounded approach. And I settled on the International Health and Parenting Institute's program, which was the Holistic Science of Sleep Method. I'll definitely get more into this on my next episode because here's a sneak peek. I plan on talking about the holistic method of sleep and why I'm working that way today. So I chose that method because it's much more well-rounded and it takes the child and the parent's emotions and emotional well-being into account. In fact, it prioritizes that over a lot of other things. Yes, I still use sleep science. All the things I learned about sleep science 18 years ago still absolutely hold true today and are very crucial to sleep. But there's a whole emotional well-being component that was being left out, I believe, with the cry it out method. Most of the clients that are coming to me today are expressing that they want to do something other than cry it out with their child. I know a lot of people, so when people contact a sleep consultant, they're usually at the end of their ropes and they're willing to try anything. And a lot of clients express to me that they don't want to do cry it out, but if they have to, they will. And so it gives me such relief to be able to tell people you absolutely do not have to do cry it out to have a good sleeper. There is a whole other side to children's sleep that isn't talked about a lot in mainstream media. There's a whole other way of doing things that does not involve a lot of crying. In fact, we can get really minimal crying when we do things the holistic way. And holistic just means taking the whole big picture of the family and the child into account. I want to take a minute just briefly to talk a little bit about the difference between attachment theory and attachment parenting, because that is, I think, part of the confusion about letting your child cry is that it's going to affect the secure attachment between you and your child. And those two are not the same thing. Attachment parenting, um, it was founded by Dr. William Sears in 1982, his whole philosophy is emotional responsiveness. So believing in the language value of your baby's cry. Dr. Sears recommends prevention of crying and parents are advised not only to practice breastfeeding, baby wearing, and co-sleeping as much as possible, but also to get into the habit of properly responding to the early warning signals so crying doesn't happen in the first place. So that's my understanding of attachment parenting stance on crying. Now, secure attachment and attachment theory is a completely different thing. Attachment theory is focused on the relationships and bonds in a long-term relationship. So between parent and child or between romantic partners. Attachment is an emotional bond to another person. It's lasting psychological connectedness. It's a deep abiding confidence a baby has in the availability and responsiveness of the caregiver. When your baby cries out for you, and you respond to them in a timely manner, that is adding to the secure attachment between you and your child. So it doesn't have anything to do with preventing tears. Secure attachment is when you respond to a child who is distressed. 
So although those terms sound really similar, they're actually two completely different ideas. Attachment theory or secure attachment is based on the belief that the mother-child bond is the essential force in infant development. And that's how our children form coping skills, how they view relationships and personality development. And they rely on their mother. Usually the mother is the primary and then the father will be the secondary. So babies rely on their mother to decode meanings and emotions in the world, internal and external. So you're your child's safe base from which they explore the world. And they get their cues on how to react to things from looking at you. If you are allowing your child to express emotion, supporting them through it, responding to a need when there is a need underneath that emotion, you are doing everything you possibly can to cement that secure attachment with your child. Now I'm going to start to get into what does it mean when our child cries? Why are children crying? Why is it such a prevalent means of expression for children? In her book, Sleep, Play, Love by Sophie Acott, she talks about children crying for two reasons. Number one is to communicate an immediate need, such as hunger, holding, thirst, cleanliness, sleep, or stimulation. And then the second reason is to recover or heal from emotional stress or physical pain. So some examples she gives are prenatal stress, birth trauma, unfilled needs, overstimulation. That's a big one, especially with regards to sleep. Developmental frustration. So sometimes children are just frustrated with themselves because they can't do something they want to be able to do. Physical pain, frightening events, loud noises, or separation from parents and parental stress. So sometimes our own stress kind of seeps into the family life and children absorb that. They're like little sponges and they need to just get it out. I think a big reason why children cry are just children are in the moment. They don't know how to push uncomfortable feelings down. They need to release uncomfortable feelings right away so they can continue to be in the moment. Our children are taught to push feelings down and it's not our fault. It's just the way that we were raised and unconsciously raising our children, some of us, that feelings aren't important, that feelings are messy, feelings are not efficient. They, um, you know, when we're in a hurry and we're late and we're stressed out and our child just starts crying, part of that could be because they're frustrated with us rushing them. Part of it could be they're absorbing the stress from us. And if we're just telling our child, be quiet, be quiet, we're not letting them get those feelings out. And so that's how we inadvertently teach our child to push feelings down. And a lot of times, even though our intentions are so good as parents, we do it because it makes us feel more comfortable. And I can tell you as a step-parent and as a longtime nanny that I've had many moments where I just don't want to hear the crying anymore. Either I've reached a place of frustration with the whole conversation that's going on, or I myself have things going on and I can't handle having another person's emotions spilling over into that. 
I have definitely done my share of quieting, distracting, or even with older kids, sending them away to their room to kind of cry it out on their own and calm down. And I used to think that that was a really good thing to do. And now after the course that I took and all my own research on the the connection between crying and sleep, I believe that the best possible thing I can do is to be present for my child when they're crying. And I'm going to talk about that towards the end. I want to talk a little bit more about why our child cries. So infants actually have three different cries. The basic cry, which is a systematic cry. So hunger is a main stimulant for the basic cry. The anger cry is definitely different. And if you're a parent with a little one, you can tell the difference between a basic cry and an anger cry. And then there's the pain cry, which is when your child has gas or their arm is stuck underneath them. And so even babies have their own language of tears. There has been research done over the years on infant crying. T. Barry Brazelton, a pioneer of kind of child rearing books and parenting techniques, has suggested that overstimulation may be a contributing factor to infant crying and that periods of active crying might serve the purpose of discharging overstimulation and help the baby's nervous system regain homeostasis. So sometimes when your baby's needs are all met and they're just crying, they are healing their nervous system, which is, I don't know, to me, that's pretty cool. It's like we're provided with all the tools we need to be able to heal ourselves. And crying is an instrumental part of healing. I can tell you from my own experience as someone who struggles with anxiety from time to time, when I am getting extremely anxious about something and I'm building up to an anxiety attack coming on, a lot of times my body just naturally releases the anxiety in the form of crying And I am always amazed at how I feel so much better. Right after I cry, it's like the anxiety level is brought back down. If it's at a 10, it's at about a 2 after I cry. It's another reason why this topic is so important to me because I have felt this myself. And I've also felt how when I'm upset about something and a friend or my husband, instead of just telling me it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay and patting me on the head, they take the time to listen to me about why I'm crying or just to hug me and let me cry. Think about if we were able to do this for our child every time, how much of a difference it would make in validating their feelings. Also in teaching them how to be empathetic to others and their feelings. Another part of this is that when we're constantly shushing our child or distracting them from crying, we aren't teaching them to be compassionate to others' pain. We're teaching them that pain or emotion is a form of weakness and it's something that should be kept to yourself. In doing my research, I found an article on handinhandparenting.org that talks about Um, how having a close connected relationship with an adult who listens to the child's feelings is the single strongest indicator that an adolescent will reach adulthood without experiencing teen pregnancy or violence, without becoming addicted to drugs or tobacco, and without dropping out of high school. So we're not only teaching our child emotional intelligence when we allow them to have whatever feelings they need to have 
we are also teaching them to not bottle things up and push them down so that they have to cover them up later with other very dangerous behaviors. There's also the idea that children who aren't allowed to express their feelings during the day, even if instead of allowing our child to cry, we're constantly rocking them or holding them and putting them to sleep completely asleep and never allowing them to express emotion. A lot of times I find that those children are the ones who wake up and cry for long periods during the night. I read an article that compared it to shaking up a bottle of soda or pop, as we call it here in Chicago. There's only so much time until that bottle is going to pop and the pressure has to come out. If you have a child who not expressing emotion, but is exploding with anger or gets very easily frustrated at things and anger comes out, a lot of times those can be repressed emotions as well. So it really is the most beneficial to creating an emotionally healthy and an emotionally intelligent child to allow them the safe place to come to you and express their emotions and know that they're going to get validated. You're going to help them process these difficult feelings. And sometimes they just need a hug. So how can we support our kids through tears and build attachment? I love this quote by Ashley Warner, who's a psychologist. Beneath every behavior is a feeling and beneath every feeling is a need. And when we meet that need, rather than focus on the behavior, we can begin to deal with the cause, not the symptom. As we talked about earlier, our children are crying to communicate. Sometimes they're just crying to communicate their own personal, it's not directed at us, it's just their own personal feelings of frustration, overwhelm, etc. The first part of being able to support our children is to become aware of whatever feelings are coming up for you when your child is crying. So for example, your child, you tell them to stop jumping on the couch. You've told them 15 times to stop doing it. They're going to get hurt. And of course, what happens? They fall off the couch and bump their head. So first, check in with yourself. You're feeling frustrated that your child didn't listen to you and now they're hurt. You're feeling scared that your child is hurt. There's probably a lot of other things going on under the surface there, but those are just a couple examples to give you an idea. By noticing how your child's crying makes you feel, you can separate your own feelings from your child's feelings and attend to what your child needs from you right now, which is to check on on them and their well-being to make sure they're not seriously hurt, but it's also to comfort them. And believe me, your child at some level, whether consciously or unconsciously, is frustrated with themselves that they didn't listen to you and now they ended up hurt. But the main emotion that they're probably feeling is fear. They probably really got scared when they fell off the couch and bumped their head. By kind of dissecting that a little bit and thinking, okay, my child is not seriously hurt. I can give them a little ice pack, but they're probably still going to continue crying. Most kids, when they get really frightened by something, there's that prolonged crying that to me makes a lot of sense that it's kind of getting rid of emotion that's stored in the body. When they're able to let that emotion go, they're able to just move on with their day. And you know how that how that looks with your child, that all of a sudden they'll be fine and they'll stop crying and they'll go run and start playing again. And that's the power of how being mindful towards our child's feelings can help them 
process it and move on with their day rather than pushing it down and storing it for it to just come out later as anger or a tantrum or excessive crying during the night or at bedtime. Now, is this easy to do? Absolutely not. But as as with all mindfulness practices, it is a practice. I mean, I started trying to meditate probably seven years ago, and I've just in the last, oh, I would say eight to nine months, been able to do a three-minute meditation in the morning. So it took me all that time to continue practicing and practicing, getting frustrated and trying different meditations that I finally settled on one that I said, I'm going to just do this one every single day because it works and stop trying to reinvent the wheel. And I finally have been able to work it into, I would say six out of seven days a week. So Keep that in mind when you're trying to work any kind of mindfulness practice into your life, that it is a practice. Being present is not an easy thing to do. Just because of the world we live in today, there are so many distractions. We are so busy. We're running around like a bunch of chickens with our heads cut off. To be the one who puts their foot down and says, I'm going to stop for a minute and I'm going to be present for my child is a very difficult thing to do. And it's really difficult just because the way we're conditioned. It's kind of like pick yourself up by your bootstraps and keep on moving. And for children, that kind of thinking just doesn't work. It goes against their very nature as little beings who live constantly in the present moment. When I'm doing sleep work with a family and tears have been suppressed or the schedule has been very off and the child is in a cycle of being very overtired, I talk to them and let them know that there are going to be tears expected. Just because I do very gentle methods of helping children sleep does not mean there's no tears or even minimal tears. With some families and some children, they're going to experience quite a bit of tears. And a lot of times it's because Children need to release those emotions because of all the stress hormones built up in their body. If they're overtired, they need to release that overstimulation somehow. They have to get it out. And crying is a way that the children are able to do that. That's why when you start bedtime with a very overtired child, you get an excessive amount of tears because they have reached a point that their body and brain can no longer handle the amount of stress hormones that are being released. And they need to cry to release some of that pressure that's built up. I also see a lot of tears with families who have used lots of parental intervention, I call it, to get their children to sleep. So if they're using a lot of rocking, holding, feeding to sleep, and they're not putting their child down awake, they're always putting their child down completely asleep. And this, again, it comes from a good place. I'm not criticizing this at all. I tell my families, whatever works for you, do it. If, it. if you're okay with it and your family's comfortable with it, do it. Because we can always work on gently breaking any of those habits later on down the line. But when families do come to me and they want their children to sleep more independently, I always let them know that there's going to be some crying when you're coming from a place of putting your child down completely asleep and trying to get to a place of expecting them to learn how to self-settle and self-soothe a little bit more. What I tell parents is to try to practice putting your child down awake in their crib at bedtime after you've soothed them and calmed them and gone through their bedtime routine 
and they're on a good schedule for their age. So they're not going to bed and starting overtired because then you'll always get excessive tears. Put your child down and see what they do. And if your child becomes very upset or inconsolable, you take your child out and you hold them through it. Let them cry and express what they need to express because a lot of times children who have not been able to express tears around sleep or are being expected to now learn how to self-settle a little bit, even in a very gentle way, will get really frustrated. Children don't understand that we're doing these things for their own good and for our own. A lot of times it's for our own mental health. We need sleep. And children don't understand that. So they cry out of frustration or fear or fear that they're going to be separated from you at bedtime. So I encourage parents to just hold their child, try very hard not to shush or rock or do any of those behaviors that they previously did and let their child continue to cry in their arms. And letting your child cry in your arms is absolutely not affecting your attachment to your child. It's actually building a more secure attachment to your child because you're teaching them that they are safe to express emotions with you. And the next time something big comes up and your child gets hurt or they're scared, they're going to feel that much more safe expressing emotions to you. I'm going to conclude today's episode with a connection that I want you to try this week with your child. The next time that your child has tears, whether it's around bedtime or they get hurt or they get frustrated, first pause and recognize the uncomfortable feelings that come up for you and try to separate the way you're feeling, whether it's about how your child is feeling or whether it's completely different things like stress from work or from the day. Try to validate your own feelings so that you're able to separate them from your child. The next step is to try to uncover what the need is behind your child's tears. So I'll use sleep for an example. If you are beginning a new sleep plan with your child and you're starting with a child who's overtired, you know that your child is crying because they need to wind themselves down. By uncovering that need, you're validating their feelings, and you can even talk to them about their feelings. That's another great thing to do is say, I know you're feeling scared or I know you're feeling frustrated or that must have been really hard for you. Putting words to our children's feelings is really helpful for them because a lot of times they don't have the words to express and that's part of the reason behind the tears in the first place. And then try to lovingly be present for your child, whatever that means, whether it is holding their hand or holding them and letting them cry, or just being present in the room with them. And just by doing that, by sitting in the room with your child and letting them cry, you are showing them that their feelings are okay and that you are a safe person to express emotions in front of. And to me, that is just the most awesome gift we can give to our kids because so many of the things that we use as teens and adults to cover up our feelings could probably be avoided if we learned how to better deal with those feelings and get rid of them on the spot rather than pushing them down. So that's my take on crying, guys. And I'll definitely talk more about crying and emotional well-being in upcoming episodes. This is a big part of sleep. 
A great resource that I found in doing my research on this topic is a website called mindful.org. I think they also have a magazine that they put out maybe every other month. They have a lot of articles on there about how to be a more present parent and how to practice being a mindful parent. So check that out. I'll put that down in the show notes. I hope you guys will join me next week as I talk about looking at sleep in a holistic way and what does that mean? And I'll also talk about why that's the way I choose to work with child sleep now and how that's changed for me. I hope you guys all have a great week. Take care and be good to yourself. We're all doing the best we can. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until then, follow us on Instagram and Facebook for tips on sleep and a whole lot more. See you next week.